Hey everyone, welcome to the next episode of the Belinda Car Show. Today we're going to be talking about modular construction. So I haven't made a video on modular construction yet, just because it it's such a broad topic, all-encompassing topic. I don't know where to begin. Yeah, I feel like you've made a video on different things that can be considered modular construction, in particular shipping containers. Yeah, but then there's there's a whole prefab world. There's, can you consider manufactured homes to be modular construction? I, I don't know. Modular is so broad. Mm. That brings me to my question for you, Belinda. What does modular mean? And what does it mean to you? It means so many things. I mean, it, it has different meanings in the plumbing field, in the electrical field, the architecture design field. But if you we think about it just in terms of construction. It it could be just like a panelized modular system that can be used to create a home. It could be, on a larger scale, a unit that can, when put together with several other units, can be used to create a home or, a, or an apartment building or a hotel. Some sort of building, yeah. Yeah, so modular construction is it's just so hard to define if you break it down to the essence like what is modular it's repeating unit yeah kitchen cabinets are in a way modular yeah like the ikea uh the way you design kitchen cabinets on I ikea you you put in this slot in this in in this space and that's how you create your um kitchen layout that's that's modular design so it's like different pieces that come together to make a whole system Rather than custom pieces. But it's not, not like a wall where it's different pieces that come together to make a wall system. It's repeating units. Yeah, repeating units. Yeah, I agree. I feel like people, when they think of modular construction, they think of tiny homes. Or they'll think of simply contemporary modern homes that have flat roofs and like metal siding or something. Or they'll think of like a container home. It's always a cuboid. And it's always contemporary. Mm -hmm. could be a big reason why it's not widely accepted. Because everyone talks about it. Everyone thinks about it as the holy grail that, that you want to get to, but you can't get there. You're saying everyone in like in the construction industry? Construction industry and then just people outside the industry that want to build a home. They think, oh, the prefab, the modular, it just fascinates people. The idea that you can... Although all the hard work and the the dirty work is done behind the scenes and you see these clean panels that come together to make like these boxes that fit in so perfectly. Legos, my gosh, the number of time I've heard people talk about Legos in construction. If a building or a home could be put together like Legos. So like take, for example, ICF blocks. Is that modular construction because you're using a module to create your home? Technically, yes. And I think modular has a lot of different subsects within it. So a show that we really like to watch is uh, Grand Designs. And we've watched a few seasons of that. And it seems like the majority of their construction projects, their home projects, are created from modules or their SIPs or there's some sort of prefabricated unit that they bring onto site to construct the home quickly. Yes, you're right. A lot of modular prefab 
houses shown on grand designs and shows similar to that. But I think that's also them seeking out clients that want to build that way because they know their audience. Yeah, who wants to show off a traditional suburban home? There, I mean, there are so many unique things you can do with traditional construction on at a different level. Things you don't see. Yeah, but that's not appealing to people. Again, seeing the the prefabricated panels or prefabricated cuboids come together and slot together is fascinating to a viewer. Or seeing your house go up in one to three days. Yeah, even though it's taken much longer to build those panels in a factory. So that's why shows like Grand Designs pick on or trying to find clients like that just because it's it's appealing. So to learn a little bit more about modular construction and change our misconceptions about modular design, I spoke to an industry expert who has been in the field for several decades. Hey everyone, today we're going to be talking to Ken Semler from Impressa Modular. Ken is an expert in the modular construction industry. He's been in it for decades. So he's going to share some useful and helpful insights with all of us. Thanks for joining us, Ken. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about your background, how long you've been in the industry, and what motivated you to get into it. Okay. Um, I started uh, actually years ago. I really got into this business not from a builder side, but from a remodeler side. I, I had a, I'm going to say a side business. I had a day job originally, and um, I got into it as a, as a hobby. I would, I would say a hobby and investment doing uh, rehab, rehab remodel. So I would buy houses and rehab and remodel them and then either sell them or rehab, remodel and rent them. And I had that going and, you know, the boom took off in about 2003, you know, and, and the, the construction boom or the, the modular boom? The construction the boom. Construction. Okay. Yeah, the construction boom really took off just the home building in about 2002, 2003. And, and I was doing a lot of this work. And so I had somebody start asking me, hey, would you build a home for me? And and my and I had grown enough where I was probably doing, and I'd actually even started doing this with manufactured homes, but I would buy three to 15 homes a month. And I had crews doing the rehab remodel. So my, as I looked around and tried to figure out, you know, the most effective way to get into the new home construction business, modular made the most sense because it was really the same skills that my guys already had. It was a little bit of drywall, a little bit of trim, a little bit of, you know, my guys that I'm actually doing the rehab remodel were, were really like punch out guys. They could do everything. And so modular construction fit the bill. So in 2004, I think was the year that we officially started buying homes with one of the manufacturers in Pennsylvania. And it took off, I think within eight months, we were like their third top largest builder in, in eight months and selling outside of the Washington DC area. And it just took off and it, it eventually grew, but like everybody else, 2008 got here and, um, you know, we were growing rapidly and then it turned off like a faucet. And I'd actually, um, I tell people I did the smartest and dumbest thing I did in, in 2008. I spent a large amount of, amount of money on a 10 acre parcel in an industrial park and was putting up a 14 model super center in 2008. That Whoops. turned out not to be a good idea. But um, what I did was, knowing it was a large regional sales center, I had created a, an internet-y name called Express Modular. And when the bust happened, and luckily I had contracts with the local education, um, you know, the, the schools, and we did the, the, the modular classrooms and done, you know, the relocations for them over the years. They were the relocatable. And in 2009, with the loss of tax revenue, they ordered, you know, 
I did a million dollars worth of business with them in eight weeks that summer, which really kept the business alive and going. And then in 2010, I, I started a website called, I took the website that we had created and actually started to expand it called Express Modular. And that's really what grew Belinda. I mean, it, um, you know, with the internet and my skills on the website, we um, grew the website. And then I decided I wanted to become the first nationwide modular builder. And so from 2010 to 2015, I methodically worked my way across the country. Uh, I'm probably the most tested contractor in the country. I started uh, doing the, uh, I would, I would go into the states. I, do, I would do five to eight states a year. I would get, get the corporation set up. I would take the contractor licensing test, get ta all the tax stuff taken care of. I would set up relationships with modular factories, get a salesperson to handle that territory or, or multiple salespeople. And from 2010 to 2015, I methodically worked my way to where I was a licensed, registered, certified contractor from Maine to California and from Florida to Washington State. And, um, and then it was, it was busy. The website was really cranking and um, I started then uh, next was, what do I do more? How can I get deeper penetration? Because I could only do design order delivery and set and of custom homes. We were doing primarily custom residential homes through the battle network of 20 to 25 factories. And I'm sorry, and, you were using other people's local factories at each of these yes. states? Okay. Yes. So what happens is, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm sitting right now in our factory in South Carolina, Impressive Building Systems. But, you know, to get large and scale quickly, I had to do it on the backs of factories that we still have a great partnership factory network across the country that we were doing custom homes. So again, we set up relationships with those custom home factories and we, we weren't doing turnkey construction at that point. We were actually, again, doing design order delivery and set. So we had to always partner with somebody and it, and it made it harder because a lot of people didn't wanna to have to deal with two contracts, a site contractor and a modular contractor. But it allowed me to scale quickly, get that coverage across the United States, get those relationships in place build our construction volume and then i it, it it was busy you know we were fortunate things were going well but i knew i had to come up with a better way to to get deep and we started looking at licensing or franchising and so in 2019 uh, we took the effort made the plunge i hired a person to be our director of franchise development we did all the paperwork which is you know this much paperwork and did everything we needed to do so we were we were a uh, we became a franchise, a franchisor in 42 states. And so we primarily started in the Northeast or the Mid-Atlantic from South Carolina to Michigan to Maine. And we've started franchising. We rolled it out at the International Builder Show, which we'll be at next week. And uh, we rolled it out in 2020 and promptly came back four weeks later to COVID. And so that really stalled 2020 with the expansion of franchising, but we, in January 1st of 2021, we got our first franchisee on board. We brought our second franchisee on board. And at the International Builder Show, we'll have our third franchisee there that just bought multiple territories. That's awesome. And we have several more. So, that you know, it's really, we are a builder in a box. We give people in a local area the ability to enter modular construction, have our sales support for a, uh, with our website, because nobody, I mean, I tell people take their, Impressed to take the modular challenge is go out and type in modular homes in any city state and we typically show up as one, two or three. And so we give people a huge marketing boost in any area and we support through, you know, mentorship and 
and support training to get people up to speed quickly and successfully in modular construction. So do you guide people throughout the entire process? Do you all have certain designs that you can offer people or you accept their designs as well and then you yes. modularize it and then take it all the way through to installation? We do both. And so we've trained, um, you know, in, in the Martinsburg area, I have what we call a company-owned franchise in Martinsburg, West Virginia. We have one here starting and I happen to be sitting in South Carolina today at our factory. And we have a, fr a factory owned franchise that we're starting here, in addition to our other, you know, uh, third party of franchisees. And so, but we take people through the process. We have uh, on online training, we have a mentorship. I mean, I actually personally take phone calls, um, you know, every Monday. So there's a question answer session. So they have support. And at every set, um, we actually, which is the, the key part, because if anything's going to happen badly in modulars during that set, if it wasn't done properly. And so we have somebody from our team at each one of the sets, as well as the franchisee gets to attend sets around their region. So they feel comfortable that the first set that they see isn't theirs. <laughs> they've got, a, they feel like they've got some experience going into it before it counts for them. How, so you've been in this industry since 2008. How has it changed since then? Well, uh, I've been in it since, like I say, about 2003, 2004. I, I, we re, redesigned ourselves in 2008 after yes. the Great Recession. But I think what what's it's been an interesting uh, it, it's been an interesting change in what's happening in the industry is I do have a unique perspective because I work with factories across the country, and I think one of the the, the issues with with con construction is people really can't fathom how big it is and how different it is geographically. The same way you would do something in Pennsylvania isn't the way you would do it in South Carolina or Florida or Illinois or Texas or, or you know, Washington State. And even the way we, we finish construction, just drywall finishes are different by region. And people don't understand all those. And then we have, you know, we really have 50 countries with building code and, you know, different building codes. And so the biggest, I would say, change is and 20 through up through 2018, 2020 in that area, the, the industry focused primarily on custom home building or local builder support. And we work in a fragmented industry where most builders build five homes a year. And, and that's what our the, the modular factory supported. So they never really scaled. They were doing individual custom home plans and mass and figuring out how to do that. Um, I think it was bit, right about 20, 2016, 2018, Marriott discovered modular construction and they started, they, they certified a few factories and they decided the only way they could scale and build more hotels faster was modular. Perfect fit, two rooms on either end, a central hallway, all utilities come to the hallway and factories started churning out the hospitality, you know, to the hospitality industry. Well, then that led to multifamily apartment complexes and many of the new factories you see are doing that but nobody's really scaling the single family side. And that's kind of what led us into our factory that we have here is we prime, you know, we will do multifamily, but we primarily are a single family producer. But what I see in the industry changing now is the historic factories have done single family custom home building. And I see the industry changing to how do you do it in mass? They're getting back to kind of the manufacturing roots how can I do it fast, quickly, and scale? Because we need lots of housing, preferably affordable housing that's affordable, and we need it fast, and we need a lot of it. And I see a, a, a shift in the last two years or so of the industry 
Um, we have a lot of factories, you know, folks like Vaughn Buckley, Z-Mod, um, you know, I can name a bunch of Gurdon, Autohaw, and they're all geared towards doing lots of multifamily development in scale. But now we're seeing single family home. How do we get single family, build the rent? How do we find a way into that? And that's basically where we're trying to fill that niche, not large multifamily pounding out the same box 400 times for a for a construction project. Is that your personal preference? You prefer to do something different each time? Well, so again, I've got different parts of the business. We still have the Impressa modular side doing custom home building, but at the factory, we do a limited amount of plans and we deliver for developers a, a very limited amount. So we're trying to get to, I'm going to use our term curated house plan designs with limited color selections, both exterior and interior so that you can have selections and, and, and the homes will look very nice. But from a factory perspective, it's essentially the same home and I can have a limited set of SKUs and, and deliver. I mean, it's, um, you know, we're all suffering from supply chain issues now. And if I can, instead of buying enough siding for a house, if I can buy truckloads of siding. And so a third of my houses are blue, a third are green and a third are, um, you know, beige or, or you know, it, that's what we're trying to do is how do we have limited color selections and give people kind of that feeling of a customized house that looks very nice, but it's something we can manufacture quickly. So all the modular units that you are built are all wood construction, correct? Right now we're currently doing wood only construction and I think we're going to change. It's going to evolve, but right now it's wood only. So how have the lumber prices and all the instability of the last two years affected you all? <laughs> uh, um, house prices, you know, we saw random, you know, thousand foot board or board foot of lens lumber. Um, we saw it go what the 1650 or $1,650. Then it dropped back down into about the 600 range. And then it was up to what, just a few days ago, over a thousand again. And, um, I was actually just talking to our, our, our president of manufacturing operations. And OSB was at $32 a sheet. He thought that was high. Well, the next other person selling it was $34 or $54 a sheet. I mean, it's, we thought it was coming down and it's still insanely high. You know, a few years ago, I could have got that for eight or $9 a yeah. sheet. So now, you know, wood makes up about 19% of the average house invoice. So it going up and down, but I know also that, you know, we took our first load or took our load of lumber, one load of lumber at the end of December, we took our first load in January and the price increased about 40% between two loads. Wow. So it's crazy. And everybody, you know, I would love to be challenged on it, but what I see is, you know, when people say, why well, aren't you doing late gauge still, you know, do you do LGS? But it seems like still, which historically has been about a 25 or 35% bump over wood, wood goes up, still kind of says, let me do that too. And, and proportionally, they've stayed in about the same correlation, from at least what I've seen, you know, over the period of time. Yeah. So it's, yeah, so you, do you think you all will move to alternative methods, or alternative methods of construction, alternative building materials? I, I think we will. I mean, we're, we're trying to do a lot of, um, I'm going to call it my skunk works project here at the, in this factory is I think we're going to do, you're going to see things that we're going to do, like we'll integrate concrete floors in our houses. So we'll be able to do slab on grade construction from the factory. 
That's something that I think has been holding back modular for a lot of years because I call it the two floor issue is most, most production developers that look at modular say, well, hold it. My foundation is a slab on grade, but my first floor is also integrated in that slab. I pay for it one time with modular current construction typically is I've got to put a, I've got to do a crawl space, or if I do a slab, I've got to put a sill plate around it, still put my house on it that has a floor because in volumetric construction, my benefits come up, put my flooring in, my trim, my kitchen cabinets, everything is done. And if I don't have a wood floor at the factory, how can I do that? So you, you defeat the benefits of modular, but I will tell you, and this is the, a, a term I've coined recently, and I think it's getting some traction is do the modular math is people have to see that speed were finally because of the current market crisis, um, speed at the speed of modular finally has a value, but with the speed of modular and the multifamily it's been, or even the hospitality, I think one example the Marriott used was in California, they had like 192 key um, hotel they put up, it would have taken them 18 months to do that with conventional construction. For the box portion, the actual manufacturing, they probably paid $3 per square foot more for the actual construction is modular. And a lot of people think on a first cost basis, you know, not final, they think first cost. So Marriott with that mindset would have said, well, I'm not paying $3 more per square foot, but they got that 18 month construction down to six months. Oh, wow. So now they had an extra year of operating revenue and said, well, this made complete sense because an extra 12 months of operating revenue against that $3 per square foot, there was no comparison. It was a no brainer to go to modular. So that's from the that's from the time the first module was arrived to the job site and then till completion. With, with everything, with the site work and everything prepped for it because it was happening simultaneously, right? Okay. But, so, but the modules were constructed before those six months? No, they, they were constructed. They would be constructed either probably right before or starting at about that time, but the on-site portion where they had to start paying was six months. So how much of these modules are actually made in the factory and how much do y'all do on-site? Like the roof and everything, that's made on-site, correct? No. So here, here's a, here's a um, so from a, a think about a, a hotel where it really is a flat roof. So it truly is a volumetric box. It's a rectangle and you have a hotel room on one end, a hotel room on the other. And so the FF&E is actually already in. The Marriott is bidding these so that the modular factory puts the beds in, the dressers, the, the desks, you know, everything. All that is, is installed in, all in that factory. Is installed and they use material like a, a strapping to, to nail it through, say, the carpeted floor. They attach it to the floor so it doesn't move in transport. Then the hallway is the only finish area on site. So all the, the sprinklers, the, the, the supply lines, the waste lines, the electrical, um, they're all stubbed to the hallway. And so the hallway is left rough finished. And then you have all your verticals connecting everything that's stubbed into the hallway, you know, say if it's a four floor building, in some cases, depending on the type of construction, we might be able to go to five, five stories, all that stubbed to the hallway. Now the contractor on site is finishing the cladding on the exterior, finishing the hallway on site. As soon as the, the, the carpet goes in, somebody puts their booties on their feet, they go into the room with the key, and now all they have to do is put in the bed sheets, do the linens, and, and put the, uh, the the towels in the bathroom, and it's ready to go. Oh, wow. I mean, it's literally to that level of finish, and, you know, hotels are flat roofs, so yeah. there's factories with different views to use an EPDM roof, TPO, whatever that is. Uh, you would 
once you get the last layer on, you put your EPDM roof. I know some modular factories put EPDM on every module so that during set, because you also have to take into set, Melinda, is this set of 192 modules doesn't take place in a day. Yeah. This set is going to take place over two weeks or whatever, and you're going to have weather at that point, and that's the time we're exposed. So they put EPDM on every module. So at any point, weather comes, the units are protected. And, uh, and that's on, say, a flat roof hotel side. But now if you turn to the single family side, we're typically going to have a roof that's installed on a module that I called an origami roof. Is... You told me this last time and I looked up a video. So these are like traditional pitched roofs that actually fold out, correct? Well, they, they, they'll, you know, the, the, the eaves will flip over, the top will fold up, a knee wall will fall down, the peak will fold up and the gable ends will pull in. And, and it's all it. done. You've got so your pitched roof. Yeah. And it's, I mean, that's how we assemble our roofs. And but, you know, people that I'm seeing builders are looking at the single family side and say, well, hold it. I see you on the multifamily side. They had a, a pro forma that said, hey, if I can get it up a year sooner, I have all this operating revenue and it made sense. But you're, you're charging me the same price for the modular as a cost to do me on for me to do it on site. And it's true. I mean, we're with material costs and everything today. We're a, virtually the same price as site built. You might see some occasional things where we're a few dollars less a square foot. But we're essentially the same, but I always I go to that builder and I'll say, well, how many houses could you do a year and how many employees did you have? And they might have 10 employees and they can build five homes a year. So I say, well, what if I can, but you have customers that want a home. Yes, I have, I have a pipeline that I could do 20 homes if I had, if I had the people. Well, what if I can give you a tool? So with modular, if I can tell you that you can do 10 homes per year more with those same 10 people. So if you were making $50,000 a home, just, you know, throwing out a number and you multiply that times 10, that's $500,000 of profit. But if I can let you do 10 more homes a year with those same 10 people, but, you know, that's modular math. That yeah. means I use the same resources and I double or tripled your income with the same resources. That's modular math on the single family. Side. But if the components going into a prefab modular construction versus an on-site construction are the same, why is the speed of one so much faster than the speed of the other? So, so typically what happens today is one, so, so for an example, we're, we're working in a planned community here outside of the factory. So we use precast foundation systems also. So that means your foundation was built in a factory, just like a, a precast garage that comes in panels on a, on a flatbed truck. And in about four hours, we can install a 1,750 square foot house foundation, full basement with the garage walls in four hours. I can, that afternoon or the next day, I can put the sill plate on and well planned. The next day I can put the house that's already been built, being built at the factory during permitting and, and the things that had to happen and that foundation being built and put in. So within, you know, ideally within probably 45 days, we will actually go from digging the first soil and clearing the lot to a a CO on that house. And if we can work that cycle, if you talk to any production builder today, he typically was 45 to 60 days in a production cycle, but I'm on phone calls with these guys, you know, usually monthly and they're up to, they themselves now are 120 days with supply chain issues. Yeah. They've doubled their production cycles. And we still, now the factory's dealing with all the headaches with, with a lot of builders don't understand or developers. 
or they're learning is, you know, I'm dealing with all the supply chain headaches. It's my problem to make sure I have the siding and the doors and the windows and everything in place and deliver on schedule. I've removed so many of the headaches because they're getting a bigger volumetric box or piece and I deliver it and I have to install that. Um, they don't have to worry about did this light show up or I don't have this light, things like that. So uh, it goes and in the factory, we, we do plan, you know, in our factory, we have a large factory. We have room to store all the materials inside. Yeah. The wood is acclimated to the site, but, you know, to the, to the project, to the box, you know, as we build it. Um, so you've you mentioned know, I mean, volume several times in this discussion. And is that one of the main things you need to educate clients and customers about is like, stop, just th stop thinking about just square footages. Think about volume. Well, so I, I use the term because in there, there's panelization. So in essence, locally, our slang term is flat packing a house is the a factory builds the walls and does the framing and delivers up in a flat pack, you know, flatly packed on a, on a flatbed truck. And now a, a framing crew assembles it on site. Um, what we do is we deliver it volumetric. So it's, it's in a box, it's already assembled with everything in. And I tell people, you know, I'll go to a dinner and I'll be sitting beside a, a, a division president of a major home builder. And, you know, over the years, I've kind of felt like the redheaded stepchild of the industry is, you know, in the construction industry because, oh, you're the modular guy. And so when they ask me at the dinner, you know, what do you do? And I say, well, I use modular construction and produce homes. I kind of get that look like, okay. And then they, what they, quite, they start questioning me about it because they've heard about it and they want to learn. But they always say, one of the things they always say is, well, how can you ship all that air? How can you cost effectively ship that air? And so, you know, my response is, but it's finished air. And they kind of give me that look like, what do you mean? And what they got to understand is I'm delivering the labor with the material. So what did it take to install that toilet? What did it take to install that for? I just didn't deliver flooring to the site. And now they've got to schedule it, get the subcontractor and, you know, they've got to coordinate all of that. I delivered the labor and the product inside of that volumetric box. So it's completely formed and I delivered it. So there, you know, there is a difference in the offsite construction world between panelization, which means you install it and still have to finish everything in, in, in on site and volumetric, which means it's, you know, pick a number 65, 75, 85% done from the factory. Another myth that you told me about the last time you spoke was size constraints. And I think this is extremely important. You told me that everyone thinks modular construction has to be constrained to the size of a flatbed, but mm -hmm. you don't. Cause we, yeah, we, um, so we, so right now, you know, typical shipping widths are typically like 13 feet, nine inches wide or 15 feet, nine inches wide. And, and, and we can be very flexible in design with what that ultimately looks like on site. We can ship in longer lengths. I mean, my factory here is typically limited to 56 feet. Some factories can go 76 feet, some even a little bit longer. I mean, you know, depending on the location you're going to. Um, we have heights of, you know, we have a carrier we put it on, but we can achieve heights of, in this area, you know, 14 feet, 13 feet, six, sometimes taller. But we can just stack as many boxes, modules as you want together. You know, we recently did a 7,000 square foot home in Pennsylvania that was 12 modules. You know, so we can build larger homes. We could do 20 modules for a single family home. Uh, but and like we, uh, oversized 
like you don't you're not constrained to just the width oversized uh, modules are not a big deal at all we, we do it all the time and one of the things that we're doing in this factory is um you know people are we again my skunk works project is we're, we're going to do 20 foot wide modules out of this factory and you know we have a project here that we believe that you know a townhome project that modular has always been difficult to, to pencil to price because in a typical world if you had a you know a pony wall construction for say a, a foundation a garage and now you were going to you know frame out a wall above it now we were going to have two stories of townhouse above that we would have typically had to deliver four modules attempt two four 10 foot wide modules to, to stack up to make that townhome if i can do 20 wide modules now i have one module on the first floor, one module, say, on that second floor, and the modules are completely finished inside. Everything's done, so all I'm doing is a top and bottom intermodule connection, and so now it's just plumbing and electrical, but that, within days, that house could be ready to live in, and we can put them together, firewalls end to end, and so that's that's our goal by later this year to be offering, by end of year, to be offering 20-wide modules. Do you see a a big demand increase in demand for modular construction over the last two years, people coming to you for advice because of all the struggles that they faced? I, I will tell you, and it started pre-COVID. Um, as you know, I speak at the International Builder Show each year. And, and you know, I, I jokingly said I felt like the redheaded stepchild of the industry. And up until the year of 2020, that's the way it really was. I mean, it was everybody kind of turned their head. I've heard of modular. It really doesn't work for me. I don't understand it. They confused it with mobile homes, you know, undermine trailers. And um, in 2020, I had basically, it was, except for one session, which there was somebody in every seat, but the other three sessions, it was standing room only. People couldn't get in. They could not find anything on modular and they were hungry for the information. And we had a booth there and it was amazing just people coming in. And we, we had the booth really for our franchising. We were, like I said, we introduced franchising and probably 85 to 90% of the people that came to our booth were developers looking to figure out how to use modular. And, and I think at the International Builder Show next week, I think it's going to be off the chart. I mean, I am, uh, I am followed up with, uh, you know, on, on, on LinkedIn with, you know, probably daily get one or two inquiries about developers trying to figure out how to use modular. And it's just, uh, I think this is, you know, the, 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 the perfect storm of what the COVID has created with the supply chain issues, the, the volatile pricing for basic materials and labor has never been more scarce in the construction industry. And if you're a developer, um, I mean, if you're a big builder, it, it, I, I'm on the phone with community develop, uh, developments, uh, you know, the economic development directors and cities, the housing authorities, and they'll tell me the big builders, they've got a community that they just got a uh, thousand homes approved, 800 homes approved, and they have no clue how they're going to build. Oh. You know, it makes the news, but how are you going to build them? How are you going to deliver? And um, we're starting to see some of the big builders starting to look at off-site construction and we'll see how that works. I mean, they have a pretty ingrained way of how they do it. That's, that's, um, you know, that's in their processes, but, uh, even the biggest ones are, they know they can't keep doing it the same way. Yeah. Something has to change. Something has to change and it can't just, again, you, you, you can't just hire another subcontractor or, or get a, a better piece of material. It's fundamentally something, something has to change. 
how would you distinguish modular construction from prefab? So, uh, you know, I would definitionally um, everything, you know, everything that's modular is prefab, but not all prefab is modular. And, and I do it that way is, you know, prefab is a, is a term that was coined that really encompasses panelized construction, modular construction, a lot, you know, many offsite systems. Um, modular itself is taking prefab materials, assembling more of them inside of a manufacturing environment. And again, go back to my volumetric term, delivered in volumetric fashion to the site in a more complete method. So what's one piece of advice you would give to someone out there who's looking to enter the modular construction industry or understand what it's about? Uh, what I always, everybody is, you know, and it, depending on your level, if you're as, as uh, simple as a five home a year builder, you need to work with your factory to find, uh, I'm going to say a buddy, a mentor, um, you know, the, your typical factory, and I'm, and I'm not trying to knock a factory, but a factory does exactly what it's supposed to do. It's a manufacturer. It's not a builder. We've turned construction into a manufacturing process. A builder is out in the dirt, in the weather, dealing with uneven ground, trying to deal with all the complexities of coordinating everything. And this is a whole new modality of construction. I mean, this is changing your systems. You're not going to show up on day one with a framing crew when you set a home. And if you do that, you just wasted a lot of money because you don't need a framing crew during a home set. If you're scoping this to your subcontractors to say, hey, this is the I need you to bid this package to finish my modular home and the, and, the, and the plumber doesn't has never done it before he's going to bid high so all of a sudden you thought you were going to use modular construction to hopefully make more money faster and now all of a sudden it costs you more and it took longer because you just didn't know how to scope it how to change your project mm -hmm. schedule and how, how to, to change it, your mindset how to change your mindset and and you, and that's, again, that was really the impetus of, of us creating the franchise was for us to be that buddy yeah. and give you a term, a builder in a box for modular. But, you know, what we're seeing now is developers calling us because they, they need to, they need to sell land. They need to sell their project. They need to get houses on the land and they're trying to figure it out and they've discovered modular. And so we're, we're getting calls from them and it's, they really need to figure out, work with a partner that's done this before. And they may go off on their own at some point, but I just, um, there is a learning curve. And if um, you don't have the right partner, that learning curve is going to be cheap, painful, and expensive, I mean, excuse me, painful and expensive. Yeah. It's, um, and, and what happens when it's painful and expensive, you don't want to do it again. Yeah. And, and I don't think that's, that's being fair to the system. When it's all. your own it's fault, it's not the system's fault yeah right and so it's it's how do how do we help you help yourself as an industry and i think that's where we're at with modular and offsite i think finally people are discovering this is the better way but um we've got to help them get get through that initial learning curve and, and get the process now so what are your plans for the rest of the year i know you were building a new facility in south carolina Yes, so we have a we have a lot going on, Belinda. Um, so you know we have our franchising that's really you know starting to take off, and, and that's great. We're we're bringing that on. We have a facility here in Presa Building Systems in Greenwood, South South Carolina, and and it's been really great. I mean, we we uh, we 
we bought a 231,000 square foot facility that was previously a metal fabrication plant. We are doing the structural modifications. We have uh, actually started production in what we call build in place line as we get the main line running. So we took this over September 1st and we have our first houses coming out next week. And so, you know, in about six months, we less than six months, we've started churning houses out instead of the 18 months that most people, you know, start with a factory. Uh, we have another facility that we'll start a probably a steel fabrication shop in. And we uh, we became, we have a, a production building uh, we were working with. It's, it's called Savannah Lakes Village, which is a master plan community. We have several thousand lots that we plan on putting houses on in that community. And we'll, you know, turn through that. It's a it's a lakeside community, so it's not a curb and gutter kind of community. It's a lakeside community, so it's um, it offers its own challenges with all the downslope lots, but that was that's what makes it interesting. And we're trying to do a number of things out of this factory that are going to be I'm not going to say revolutionary because they've been done um, in other places, um, but we'll try to do the 20 wide modules. We'll start doing houses for you. Uh, build on the slab and deliver the slab with the house. But I think what we're going to see is um, we probably have some good news here already is we have um, another factory probably that we are partnering to create. And, and I think we'll be making some more news here soon with uh, another, another factory location. And I, and I really see the opportunity. It's um, as we have this factory starting to, to churn and crank, and as we continue to get more success, it's just uh, opportunities continue to present themselves, and and we're really taking advantage of the the industry, the industry's fascination with modular and the the want and the sheer need of the the public that needs affordable yeah. housing fast, and we can do that. So you've probably heard of Boxable based out in Nevada, I think. They are all over social media and LinkedIn and everyone's talking about them. So what's the difference between Boxable and what you all are doing? Boxable is really, uh, they got a nice factory started out in Nevada. Um, you know, the, the, it's a father or son, I believe, that have really just been going at it hard. I was actually in San Francisco with the father two weeks ago when we were out at the Katera plant. He was part of that, that event that we had. And you know the son I've met at the, on the on the Washington D.C. at the mall when they had when they started presenting their boxable and the, the folding fold out house. So you know I think they've got a process and and as we go through how do we provide housing to America in scale, um, there's going to be a lot of people come up with a lot of different ways. You know what I said when we started this this podcast was it's ge geographically speaking construction is very different around the country. And there's a lot of people who will take or accept or want houses in different fashions. We have a large population. And so I think there's markets for a lot of different things. And I think Boxable starting out, they have you know, that first, like you say, in social media, got a lot of traction with their $50,000 house. And, and I think they're gonna find their markets for that because the ADU market that, you know, being in Nevada, do you ship to LA? Do you ship up you know, to San Francisco or, all of California is a, a great opportunity for ADUs and with lots of different housing issues that they're having. Um, but you know, getting traction in a broader market, when they start to get bigger, that's what they're trying to figure out is how can they deliver a product that is going to be accepted by the broader masses, but they probably can make a good living producing everything out of that factory, sending it to California for a long time. 
And I, and I think, again, we're going to have lots of factories figure out ways to do it. But um, So it's a know. different niche than what you are tackling. That's more of an ADU and you're more of a single family I'm home. More of a broader single family home. And I know that they will try to work or they are working to try to grow into that market. But it's just like um, I'm in South Carolina, a, a square box, flat top, mid-century modern contemporary home isn't the kind of home that sells in South Carolina. So, but in South, you know, Southern California, this, the, the low country pitched roof porches aren't what they're looking for in Los Angeles. It, I mean, again, it's, you, you sell the house or the product that meets your market. And, you know, and I wish everybody success. I mean, there's so much opportunity right now that, um, you know, I, I tell, uh, every time I meet somebody at a factory, it's, a, you know, I'll just throw out, you know, um, some kudos, you know, Vaughn with the Vaughn Buckley that, you know, took on um, the Katera plant. He opened up the plant a few weeks ago to lots of modular manufacturers across the country and, you know, hey, take pictures, but see everything. Let's talk, let's share. And, and that's what we're going to do because for the next 15, 20 years, I don't see competing. <laughs> we're not competing with anybody. It's how many homes can we build and sell? There's just that much. There's enough demand. Yeah. So how can we as an industry, and that's one of the things, you know, I work in both the National Association of Home Builders and the Modular Home Builders Association. I work to promote this industry and th there's, there's a, nobody doing the best practices. Luckily I've been in 20, 25 factories that I've worked with. I've been actually in more than that. And I've seen what I would call best practices across the country. And I think I've been privileged to be able to have that opportunity that most people, almost nobody's ever had. So I get to take what I've seen, best practices, and bring it to what we're doing here in this factory. Because every factory does something really good that I can, you know, pull that piece out of and try to implement here. And I will tell you, our factory here is not going to be a. It, it currently is not a robotic type mm -hmm. automotive assembly plant. Uh, you know, that's we. I, I, I kind of, I guess, I've coined the term advanced mechanization. Our goal is to how can we use still jigs and you know some automation where it makes sense, but we're here just doing you know bread and butter. Um, we want to we want to put out a very good home as fast as we can, the highest quality at the best price. That really is going to serve a single family home developer or a build the rent developer market. So thank you, Ken, for sharing all that advice with us and. Best of luck with your speech at the International Builder Show next week. And I'll provide a link in the description if people want to watch that. It'll be okay. recorded, right? It's supposed to be recorded, but I think it's available for attendees of the show. I don't know if they're just making it available to everybody, but they are recording all the all the main IBS education. What's your speech going to be about? So I've got two. I'll be on a panel with David Cooper and Rick Murdoch from Auto, well, uh, excuse me, Caleb, which is one of the participants of, from AutoVall. And so that's really just a panel about how to use kind of what we covered here a lot of, you know, using offsite construction for development. How, how can it play into what your, your plans are? The, uh, the second one um, I'll be doing, it's using, uh, designing, using, designing for custom modular homes. How do you how do you design you for custom modular homes, and and that's one for you know again that small home builder that wants to get into it and they don't understand. I don't want to say you know your your, your architect background is. I tell people that people are say well modular is constraining you know limit it has these limitations and it's like no look at it as a house style. If you were going to do a house in a Victorian style, 
You would it, pick it certain elements, roof. yeah. Yeah, certain elements, and it's got a flat roof. And even if you like a flat roof, well, that doesn't play in a Victorian style. You're going to be putting a turn on it. You're going to be putting a porch on with lots of de decor and you know decoration. That's what you're going to do on a Victorian. So that's modular. Is I'm going to give you a set of constraints and a discipline, and you build within that discipline. And people build very beautiful Victorian homes within that discipline. And I can build very beautiful modular homes. But you know that's what makes it a, the fun is the challenge of how do I how do I create, and that's what I try to get people to think of. And but we transfer load differently. So when we were talking earlier about the widths, I can't go, I can't take a thirty foot wide house and and have no support in the middle of it because I can't just use a thirty foot truss and a, and a roof truss or whatever. I transfer load on the outside walls and wherever baiting takes place at the mate walls attached. And so I've got to account for how do I transfer that load to a foundation? And you just got to think about that. And if I, if large spans, but can I use steel flitch plates and on a residential side, flitch plates get used. You sandwich a steel in between say an LVL or dimensional lumber. And that might let me span 26, 30 feet in a residential and, you know, between mate walls. And if you have a 20 or 30 foot opening, that that's in a residential world, that's a nice open house where modules came together. And it's just, even factories don't understand the materials and the products that are available for them to use. And so I've been at factories where they say, we can't do that. And I say, yes, you can. And they say, but, but how? And I show their engineers and designers how to use the material to get to achieve the customer's requirement. And again, it's how can we help the industry grow and make people think a little differently, even in our industry. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Ken. And once again, really appreciate all the advice you've shared with us. Okay, thank you, Belinda. Have a great evening. So Ken Simler seems like he might be the perfect person to actually make modular construction boom in the suburban home industry. In the States. Yes, because it, it seems like there's, as we spoke about earlier, there's this misconception that modular construction is always this small sort of container style home, something similar to what Boxable does. Um, but Ken's actually building just traditional farm farmhouse style homes, I would say. Yeah, you're right. It's He's appealing to that audience that is not as excited about contemporary modern homes as we are. They are more comfortable with traditional designs. And seeing so seeing Ken come in and say, hey, we, you don't have to completely change what you consider to be good. I can show you how to build better, how to build modular, and still get the look you want. That's what I really like about it is that he's not trying to pigeonhole himself into the accepted modular style. I love how far we have come since architecture school because I feel like in school we are brainwashed to think that one way is good and every way is bad. Suburban homes are bad. Suburban lifestyle is bad. The traditional design is bad. And we have come to realize and appreciate the value in each type of design. And and it's good. It's it's a good thing for people to like different things. You can't f force your one designer beliefs on everyone. They try to do that in architecture school. They do, yeah. But that's very different than reality. And I love how we've 
grown since then to appreciate traditional design. I guess they're they're trying to do that in architecture school to give you the other side because when you're young, that's all you've ever seen is these traditional homes. And they're saying, hey, there's more to it. There's these interesting homes that are interesting buildings that have a unique architectural style to them. But then you get into the real world and at a commercial architecture firm and it's just boring boxes or something or traditional suburban style homes. Such a big disconnect between school and reality. Yeah, it seems like in architecture school, they push this idea of of a modular design. Everything needs to be a kit of parts or flat packed so that you can be mobile and bring it onto the side and uh, erect it quick and things like that, which is funny because I actually did my thesis on a basically a mobile home for an urban environment. I think every professor, every architecture student has had a professor, professor that wanted a kit of parts project. I'm guilty of being obsessed with that as well. And I, that's one thing I haven't lost. I'm still obsessed with that. And I love the idea of modular construction, but you have to realize, and this is something it's taken me a while to realize, is that you can't force your style on other people. These, like no one else in my family would want to live in this in the style of home that I would like to live in. So with Ken's route, some a younger architecture student or a younger architect could still be able to design modular, but then sacrifice the, the contemporary look and give into the needs of the, the client and design something more traditional. And to be fair, Ken's website does have some contemporary style homes on it, but I doubt that that's one of the more common home types that he builds. But I, I think the the nuts and bolts of what modular is and what gets me excited is the what's going on in the factory, the whole prefabricated part of it. And he spoke about the difference between prefab and modular and just saying that modular is a type of prefab. The other thing is that construction is such a difficult industry to automate. There's so many variables involved. And I think jumping to final full automation is nearly impossible. And I think we need steps along the way. So I, even though what Ken's doing, modular construction is still done manually, it is a step to automation. Yes, because we've seen that there are factories out there that can create these modules using robots, using some form of automation. Maybe it's not 100% of it. It's a hybrid. But the more you can automate, the better. The more labor you save, the more time you save. So I spoke to a guy last year who told me something very interesting. I don't remember who it was. Um, maybe it was Ken. <laughs> but I was talking about, I was asking him, why isn't modular as popular in the States as it is abroad? like in Europe, they're much more open to the idea of modular construction. And he said, it goes back to human psychology and goes back to World War II. After World War II, millions of homes were decimated and they had to have massive rebuilding programs in a lot of different countries and the only way that they could rebuild fast enough was to build cookie-cutter homes. There was no time to ask people, what do you want? It was just, this is what you're getting, live with it. 
And there's, in the States, they didn't have that massive rebuilding program. So people here still want to put their style, their thumbprint on a home. They want to make it different than their neighbors. They want it to be the same, but different. Yes, they, they, want, they don't want it to look exactly like their neighbors. So that's a very interesting philosophy. Like it's, it goes back to human perception of, the, of what your home should be. It's so interesting to see how each different country uh, adapted to how their, their cities were devastated and what they did. And there were a lot of modernist architects that came up with these proposals for these grand uh, cities and how they could just re reorganize everything and have green space in the center and move everything outwards from there. Le Corbusier was a big one uh, who would do things like that. And he'd have these uh, big social housing, brutalist structures. And um, having been to the Netherlands, seeing how that country was devastated and how they rebuilt, they took an approach of we're going to do everything contemporary. Why not? Why stick to this traditional neoclassical style? Let's do it in a contemporary fashion. They still have their old downtown Amsterdam, which is their traditional architecture, but they've developed their own new sort of Scandinavian style from that. That's fascinating. So just because that rebuilding program, it's changed the way the city builds, changed building codes. Changed their culture. Changed their culture. Oh, that's fascinating. So when it comes to building our own house, if we were to do that, would you be opposed to building modularly? I think it's an excellent design constraint. It's not just a plot of land with the pad. It's like, hey, I want you to think in terms of dimensions. That was one thing I wanted to mention was the fact that you can automate as much as possible with this uh, prefabrication, doing it on uh, in a factory and everything, but there is still on-site work that has to happen. You'll never get away from that, that pouring that slab and making sure your pad's level and things like that. There's always some form of on-site work and they have to connect the modules together and that has to be done, uh, it has to be done well so that you don't have any leaks or anything like that. We just watched a, a show last night on exactly what we're talking about. They poured the slab on site and then they had these prefab panels coming from Poland all the way to the United Kingdom. And then they used this unique strapping mechanism to attach the, the wall to the slab. And they had um, a little capsule of resin that they put in the concrete and then they screwed, they broke the caps, capsule with a screw and that hardened the resin and kept the wall in place. Oh, it's fascinating. It, it requires, I guess Ken said this as well, but it requires a new way of thinking. And that was really nice to hear him talk about uh, plumbers have to think differently. Electricians have to think differently. Everyone has to sort of change their mindset and understand how modular construction works. So when you say there's these constraints to modular construction, I see it as an opportunity to create something new. Exactly. We would doing this we have been doing the same thing for so long why not do something just a little bit different it's not a big deal to just alter the way you the way you think or the way you build if it's going to be better and the house can still look the same and the house can still look the same so hope you enjoyed our discussion about modular construction thanks again to Ken Semler for sharing his 
invaluable knowledge with us. Join us next week for another episode on building science, products, and technology.